0: You know, before we get into today's uh, teaching, let's review Matthew 24. The whole thing. Very important chapter in the Bible. Let's see if we are in the end times or if we make it to there or our children do. Very important chapter of the Bible. So tell me something you learned from Matthew 24. Yes, Brother Tracy.
1: Uh, Matthew 24 is not tr- not talking about the destruction of the temple in uh, uh, 70 AD. That's, a, that's actually discussed in Luke.
0: Okay. Luke chapter 21. Okay. And does Luke chapter 21 only talk about the destruction of the temple in AD 70?
1: Uh, no, it begins talking about that, but also talks about uh future returning to Jesus.
0: Okay. Okay, someone else tell me something they learned from Matthew 24.
2: Well, that the um, not knowing the day and the hour is is referring to them right now, not mm-hmm. knowing the day yeah. and the hour. Right. The word there is, is a present mm-hmm. presently.
0: It's in perfect tense. Okay. The word oida is to know there. It means in perfect tense, which means it could literally be translated they had not come to know yet okay. the day or the hour. That's our Because perfect tense is referring to something in the past that was completed. And up to this point, is still in the same state. Mm-hmm. So they hadn't known, and they don't yet know. Mm-hmm. That's what it's literally saying there. So, that's good. Anyone else? It's of possible. It's of quite the possible. One to it's quite possible. There's very few seminarians that I'm aware of who are post-trade, pre very few. So, but that's what seminary can do, to you unfortunately. The people who are the teachers in the seminary and the people who are the professors, people who are the leaders, people who are the writers of the books, they often have the greatest influence. And we know that most of them have an Augustinian influence. That's why I think Augustine was a uh, a millennialist preferred a just like Origen he preferred a more a less literal interpretation of the end time Mm -hmm. scriptures that's what you see mostly you know here in America we see a a lot but that's a fairly new teaching Mm -hmm. our millennials goes back to Augustine preached goes back to the mid 1800s mid 19th century it's fairly new it's just kind of a fad I think here because of the left behind books and movies and stuff Mm -hmm. yeah Darby was one of them it was a some kind of uh, Schofield Bible Schofield Bible made it popular yep that's right and there was some girl who had some kind of dream, supposedly, mm-hmm. and then a guy ran with it. Mm-hmm. And the dream did not coincide with what the scriptures say. And some guy ran with it, yeah.
1: Yeah, the, the girl's name was Margaret McDonald. Okay. And I believe she was 14 years old when she had the dream and she was uh, uh, thought to be terminally ill. They thought she was going to die from her sickness. And it was Edward mm-hmm. Irving who was the one who took it and ran with it because he was desperate to see uh, signs, the uh, gifts of the Spirit in the church. Mm-hmm. So he was just looking any way he could try to manifest his gifts of the spirit. He was actually ejected uh, from the church in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's basically, all surrounding.
0: And not only that, you have to understand the historical context of when the preacher rose out of. It rose out of a context where the people, of the Reformation, were amillennialists, most of them, and so they they believed in a imminent coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. And because they believed in an imminent coming of Christ. Uh, they wanted to hold on to that. and So you could have a preacher rapture, which gives you a literal interpretation of some of the scriptures concerning the end times. believing in a literal millennium now instead of an millennial not a literal millennium. But you still can hold on to this, uh, you know, imminent coming. that He can come at any time, you know, type of thing. And so um, and that's the context of which this arose out of. And so people want to hold on to that. I've had a discussion with a brother on, on, on Facebook recently, and he's, he's open to whatever the Bible says about it. He doesn't have any kind of position, but he he's, thinks that the one of the holes that post trib premillennial teaching has is that there's no imminent coming, in the sense that he can come at any single time. But so what? The Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, we've been taught that. We've been taught that's the way it's supposed to be because of what the Scripture of Kevin has brought up, and because of our society and the culture is what teaches that too. So the coming is not imminent in the sense that it can um, happen in any time. I think it's imminent in the sense that it can probably happen in any generation. But there are signs that come before him coming. It could happen in our generation. It could happen in the next generation. the generation after that. Genia, um. okay. What is it equal? People group. people group. that's right. It could be people group who are from the same race lineage it could be people group who have the same characteristics righteous or unrighteous very important I mean these these three things have been brought up so far the, the difference between Matthew 24 and Luke 21 the interpreting knowing the day of the hour properly engineer those three things if you get those three things down at, at, at all just those three things at all just those three things out of this you'll you'll come away with this with such a much better understanding of what's saying here you won't be deceived by all the false teachings out there about these things. Tell me something else you learned. That's good. That's three good things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, if you're in hiding and someone says, the Christ is here, should you believe him? Why not? Everyone will know when he's coming. That's right. See, even children can understand these things. Everyone will know. You, no one's going to have to tell you. You won't have to watch it on cable TV. You won't have to have internet access. You don't have to have those things. You don't have to have CNN or Fox News. To, they, they won't be reporting it. When his lightning cracks the sky, everything—all their, their satellites will probably be destroyed, just like that. So they won't—they're they, probably won't have any reception. Besides, they'll be in the cave saying, cry out, say, let the rocks fall upon us anyway. I was
3: suddenly envisioning this kind of stuff I don't know, I mean to take like away off the top of it, like, yeah. So I the pitch black driving home by a scooter, and I'm like, wow, it's really dark out <laughs> here. Yeah. I'm like, imagining what it would be like. It'd be even darker than the last
0: days. Right, especially at the sixth seal. I mean, the moon is dark. The sun does not give its light. The moon is dark, and the stars don't give their light either. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be real dark. Yeah. But we'll have a we'll have a great light. Mm-hmm. greater light than the sun, than the S-U-N sun. Does anyone have anything else they want to say that they learned that was important to them? Uh, I don't really
4: understand my notes here. If I'm supposed to bring it up, because for some reason
0: I wrote down in verse thirty-eight. They equals wicked. Yeah, those are the ones who will who, who will come as a thief and a knight too, and those are the ones who didn't know when the flood was coming. Yeah, it's a very important part of this what we talked about so far too is the thief and the night. That's Jesus comes to the thief and night for the wicked because they're not watching, they're not praying, not living holy, and not studying the truth. We're to be for yeah, we're supposed to be looking for the signs. We're studying the scripture, so we know what the scriptures say about this. We're living holy. Very important thing. So we're not doing those three things. We're not gonna we're gonna be surprised It comes to the thief and night for us. It's very important.
3: Well,
0: Yes, yes. And not only that, this has happened time and time again. I mean, it's happened a lot with Calvinism. I've dealt with them throughout the last six or seven years. Um, is going back to the Old Testament that it's talking about and looking at the context. You know, we looked at, did Noah know the day before flood the, the, was coming? Yes, he knew seven days beforehand when it was going to come. Um, you know, Romans 9, when it says, Jacob, beloved, you saw I hated. Going back and seeing what it's talking about there. Yeah, so going back to the Old Testament scriptures, going back to the situation with with Lot and his wife, and so I'm mm-hmm. and, re- and reading what happened there, and finding out these situations so it can help you understand the new tech. Is often what's going to happen in the future is almost like a repeat of what happened in the past. You know the abomination and desolation. Understanding what that is, and allegorizing it to some something like, oh, the abomination and desolation is is the temple being built and then offering regular sacrifices temple because. God doesn't receive those anymore. That's the abomination of desolation. Or saying, well, abomination of desolation, you know, we're the temple of God now, so if we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, we start living wickedly again, that's the abomination of desolation. Is that what Daniel says? But he says, go back and read Daniel. So It's so important to understand the Old Testament, too, to be able to understand what's going to happen in the future. It's often like a rerun, or a deja vu, so to speak, of what happened in the past. Yes.
1: Things happen in the past; we can look at it as a sight picture of
3: what's
0: going to happen in the future. Shadow,
3: the kind of like a shadow. A yeah, shadow picture. Mm-hmm. Just wants to do
0: the same thing." He wants to be a for Yeah, yeah.
2: He wants to be God. <clears <clears <throat> kind of going along the, the not knowing the day and the hour again. How, how at that if we are here at that time of the abomination of desolation, then we can count twelve hundred ninety days. Right to the
0: end. Right. We, we can and so those people will know the day and hour. People who are watching, who are waiting, who know what sign to look for, they're living holy. Mm-hmm. They can count from that day.
2: And Daniel, I was thinking Daniel did that when the, the 70 the seventy years when he was looking, he knew that yep. he, he looked at the scripture and he knew Wait. that the time of the <coughs> captivity was up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He did that. He was watching like that. Uh, exactly. That's so before
4: you sure. about that. 12 or 90 days, uh, um, we knew that that happened at certain specific time, we saw that happening. Even with the calendar confusion and all that
0: stuff, you think we can predict the day and the hour? The, time? Um, the hour, the word for hour there doesn't really mean like an hour, 60 minutes on the clock. It just means like the, the point of time in the day. And so um, I'm not sure we're going to be able to know the exact hour, um, but we'll definitely know the day for sure. So, But that, that, that scripture doesn't say that you will know the hour in the future. The scripture does not say you will know the day in the future. It's just saying at that point in time, those people do not know the day and the hour. And so it could probably still be said of the people in the future who will see the abominable isolation that they will not know the hour. But it cannot be said of them that they will not know the day. See the difference there? So just because Jesus is saying those people at that point in time and in the past had not known the day or the hour does not mean that people in the future will know the day or the hour. But we know we will know the day if we're around for the abomination of desolation. Now, whether we'll whether we know the hour or not, I have no idea. No idea.
2: It says day and hour. Yeah. So
0: now, maybe we'll we know it some other day. way. Yeah. Maybe we'll know it some other way. I have no idea. But the point is, there's other scriptures that tell us we can know the day. Uh, I don't know of any scriptures at this point that can tell us what hour it's going to be. Although I'm still studying this. That's plenty. that's plenty.
2: Um,
4: and, and we could we could even
0: probably we could even probably know from the time that the two witnesses start prophesying. Uh, of course, now that says seven years, or that's a week. You know, Daniel's week is seven years. It's a group of sevens. But we have to understand, as Brother Tracy's pointed out before, not only he's pointing out to everybody here, but he's pointing out to me, is that. Uh, Every seven years, actually less than that, but in in a group of seven years, you're going to have 30 days added to a calendar at least once in those 70 years. And so you know three and a half years is 1,260 days, right? Not 1,290. And so we have 1,260, and then we have 1,290. So 1,260 plus 1,260 with 30 in the middle. Okay, So we know that during that seven-year period of time on the Jewish calendar, there's at least 30 days added. And so we know that that last week is a Jewish last week which means there's an extra 30 days added, so it's not going to be just 1260 plus 1260. It's going to be 1260 plus 1290. And so from the time the two witnesses start prophesying, we can count 1260 and then 1290 on top of that. So we can even know from then. Yes?
1: Yeah, the total number is uh,
0: 2,550. Yeah. That's the total number of that week. So, that's just where the... Because, you know, we have leap years... You know, we have three hundred sixty-five and a quarter days, but we don't have a quarter day every year. Every fourth year, we'll add a day to it. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, the days lunar cycle, lunar cycle. Mm-hmm. and they add it for, to to make sure the seasons are always matching up for for their agriculture. So, what
3: the other days is the first fall and end of fall? Thirteen
0: thirty-five. No, I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure that's going into the into the millennium at that point. Uh, what's happening during that time, I don't know at this point in time. I, I would assume he's stomping out the groups of wrath. Um, he's calling upon the birds of the air. He's setting up uh, you know, judgment for the believers to see how they're going to be rewarded. I'm not really sure what's going on during that day, during that time. But um, blessed are those who last at the end of 1335 days, that's probably referring to, not to Christians there, but to the unbelievers who he does not stomp out. That's what I think it's referring to. So, obviously, we're blessed to make it through the first uh, twenty-five, fifty. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's get into today. Uh, we're going to read Matthew twenty-five, one through thirteen. <clears throat> and the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And once again, in verse 13, the word oida is in the perfect tense there. Okay, so what we see here is you need to understand, of course, there's no chapter divisions in the original, and so Jesus is continuing his same teaching here about the end times. Okay, and he likens the kingdom of heaven at this point in time to uh, ten virgins. Now, in the past, he's likened it to in Matthew 22 um, to a wedding being arranged for a son. Okay, and now he's likening it to ten virgins who are waiting. Uh, for the bridegroom, okay? And I, I think sometimes when it comes to parables, people oftentimes overthink things. They read things in that aren't necessarily there and allegorize things and try to find things that are hidden. I don't think that's necessarily the point here. I think the point is verse 13. That's the whole point. Uh, Watch, therefore, for neither the day nor the hour. You know neither the day nor the hour, which is the Son of Man. So you need to be ready. That's the whole point of what he's making here in verses 1 through 13. Um, and the first thing I want, to show, I want to point out to you is the progression Jesus is taking here with the people he's talking about who are not going to be ready when he returns. We see in verses 36 through 44 him talking about the people of the days of Noah. And if you go back to Genesis 6, it says that the, every intent of the thoughts of their heart were only evil continually. These are blatantly wicked people. Okay, They're marrying, giving marriage, they're apathetic towards the warnings of Noah. And so those people were not ready. And then we see in Matthew 24, verses 45-51, through 51, we see people who are claiming to be servants of God, who are claiming to be, they were put as rulers over his household, they're, they're leaders in the church, and so they have a facade of being a Christian, not only a Christian, but a Christian leader, but yet they were openly hypocritical. They were drunkards, and they were beating their fellow servants. So we have the non-Christians who are living wickedly. We have the professing Christian leaders who are living wickedly openly. Now in this story, we have this group of virgins, five virgins, who you see no open wickedness. You see no signs of them being not Christian. You see no signs of them not being part of the group of the virgins. You see no signs of that at all. In fact, you don't know they're not ready until the very end. That's when you know they're not ready. And so he's taking this progression, and we'll see even a different progression. We go to the parable of talents next time that I teach, about four weeks from now. So you see a progression here of Jesus giving warnings to people, different groups of people who are not going to be ready. And so I would even say that the the group being talked about in in verses 1-13 through of Matthew 25 is people who have secret sin in their lives. That no one else knows about. But God knows about it. And God knows they're not ready. And they may even fool themselves to think that they are ready, but they're not ready. And time comes, it'll be revealed that they're not ready. Let me, let's look at some similarities between these, these two groups of five here. We have five who are ready and five who are not ready. Let's see some similarities between them. <clears throat> All ten were invited to the wedding because they were planning to go. And they all planned to go out and meet the bridegroom so they can go to the wedding. They were making plans for this. They were planning to be there. So thinking thinking in the heart, I'm going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, this is what it's being likened to here. So you see that in verse 1. All ten were invited and they were planning to go meet the bridegroom so they can go to the wedding feast. Uh, the second similarity I see here in these two groups of five, the virgins, the wise and the foolish is they all had some level of excitement when it came to meet the bridegroom. You see that in verse 7, it says, Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. So they all heard the cry, The bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And how many trimmed their lamps? All of them. And trim doesn't mean like you cut it off or something like that. It means you're you're preparing the lamp. You're you're getting it ready to go out to meet him because it was dark. It was midnight, according to uh, verse 6. And just so you know, that word midnight there doesn't literally mean 12 a.m. There's actually two words there, middle and night. Okay? Uh, and depending on what season you're in, the middle of the night could be, a you know, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Just the darkest part of the night is what it's talking about here. So they need light. They need to trim their lamps. So they all had some, some, some level of excitement to meet the bridegroom. Number three, they were all waiting for his return, and they were all together in one place which tells me this is this is a picture of the visible church. Now what I mean by visible church is all the people worldwide who claim to be Christians. That's what I mean by visible church. Okay? But the invisible church, which are the true Christians, are all people worldwide who are truly love God, who are truly keeping his commandments. That's the invisible church. But what we see here is in this 10, there's five there's 10 who are part of the visible church, but only five who are part of the invisible church. Mind you of the parable of the wheat and tares. Let them grow alongside each other. So they were in the same place. They were excited about it. Uh, and number four, the first fourth similarity I've seen between the two groups of five is they all called him Lord, 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 and thought they knew him. They all called him Lord, Lord, and they all thought they knew him. You see that in verse 11. You see, we know that the, the five wise called him Lord. They went in to see him. But the five foolish said, Lord, Lord, outside the door. In verse 11. And the fifth similarity I see between these two groups is that they all had lamps with oil. All of them. You see that in verses 7 and 8, because they had to have something to light their lamp with. Now we know shortly after they lighted their lamp, it began to go out for the foolish. Uh, So they didn't take enough extra long like the wise did in order to keep it lit until they met the bridegroom so these are some similarities so you you see that in these similarities there can be people who are alive right now and who will be be alive at Christ's coming who are planning to meet him which means they have to have some kind of good doctrine that comes to eschatology they're planning to go out and meet him they're planning to go to the wedding they have excitement about going to meet him But that excitement may be based upon their misunderstanding of who he is and what his character is and what he's requiring of them. Um, There's people who are waiting for Christ's return, and they're together with other people who are waiting for Christ's return. There's people who call him Lord, Lord, and they currently have at least a little bit of oil in their lamps. Okay, And I want you to take notice of some things during this parable here, so we don't read too much into it here. I think the point of the oil is that it enables someone to go out to meet the bridegroom. It enables them to do that. Not only that, but the oil is freely available to all of the virgins. See, the foolish version, it wasn't that they didn't have access to it, that they weren't wise. They didn't take enough along for their journey in order to meet the bridegroom when the time came. So it's freely available to all the virgins. But the problem with this is you can't get the oil from another virgin. You have to go back to the seller of the oil, the source of the oil. What is the oil? Well, I mean, people have thought as many different things. They thought it was the Holy Spirit. Um, they thought people think it. Some people think it's faith. Whatever it is, I'll tell you this: you can't piggyback on someone else who's a Christian to get into the kingdom of heaven. I know we've mentioned this before in this fellowship. We have lots of young people here who have children, who have parents who are, are living for the Lord, or uncles and aunts who are living for the Lord. And the question becomes, do you have a genuine real faith that is providing enough oil for you to make it until the end, even when the worst things come? Because this is talking about the people on the end here. And as I said about midnight, it's two words, middle and night put together there. And interesting that what happens begins to happen at the middle of the tribulation, seven years. The worst things begin to happen. And so this is referring to that. The question becomes for you as you go out, so to speak, to meet the king, to meet the bridegroom. Are you going to make it through that last three and a half years? Are you going to make it past the middle of the night, the middle of the darkness, the middle of the tribulation, darkness for the saints, to meet him? Are you going to have enough oil in your lambs to go through those things that you're going to go through in the last three and a half years um, to make it to the end? Now, whether this is really literally talking about the last three and a half years, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't want to read too much in the parables and take the language and dissect it. You can go into some uh, bad territory when you do that. It is a parable. The main point of it is verse 13. But you can't get oil from somebody else. You have to get oil from the seller himself. And I want to also want to point out that Jesus said in verse 12, he didn't say, I never knew you. He said, I do not know you. And from all the rest of the language we see here, these other five versions, they're called virgins, they're waiting for the bridegroom, they had some oil in their lamps, just didn't have enough. And so it makes me think back to the, once again, the parable of the wheat and tares, or the parable of the soils. Uh the parable of the sower and the soils, where there was several different soils that received the word of God, but they didn't last until the end. You see that in Matthew 13. It says uh, in verse 20 of the seed that received on stony places, this is he, he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but only endures, endures only for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Immediately he stumbles. And then verse 22 of Matthew 13. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So both these two seeds, the one, the stony ground here and the thorny ground here, both receive the word of God. But well, they don't endure to the end. They only endure for a while. They become unfruitful, and so we know that um, there's people out there who are who are currently Christians, genuine Christians, who are knocking a dirty end because guess what? They're not sending their roots deep. They're not sending their roots deep to the source of the nutrients, source of the water, it's the source of the nutrients in the soil that they need because the top top of it is rocky. It's to go deeper into the soil. Just as John 15 says that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. If we're struggling, we need to grow go deeper into the vine and draw from it more and abide in it more so that when the time comes, we can stand. <clears throat> so the point of this, of this whole passage here in Matthew 25, 1-13 is verse 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So to watch. So to watch. How can you watch and be ready? Once again, you need to study, know the signs, you need to make sure you have a personal faith that is abiding in the vines so that you produce much fruit, and you're not trusting in the faith of someone else, whether you're a child or whether you're an adult, you're not trusting the faith of someone else, but you have a personal faith a relationship with Jesus Christ. and You need to live holy, and of course that can only be done as you draw from the vine, Galatians 5.16, walk according to the spirits that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you're living holy because you're walking according to the spirit. He's a source of your strength, and you can know to all things through Christ strengthens you. Not only that, but watching and being ready means keeping your garments clean. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21 through 23, and then we'll go through verse 27 to 28. And you who were who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, that now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, Grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, the whole point of Christ's death is to present you holy, blameless in the blood of Christ. That's part of being watching and being ready. As a virgin of Christ, you're keeping your garments clean. And then, verse twenty-seven. To them, talking about the Gentiles here, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. And here's the reason why he's warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And to this end, Paul labors, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. So you need to keep your garments clean. Uh, Ephesians five also talks about. We've read this before in this fellowship. Ephesians five, uh, verse twenty-five says, "Husbands, love your wife." just as Christ also loved the church, and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. That He may present her to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish. So, we ought to be living holy, drawing from the source of our strength. That's the way we're going to live holy, not doing in our own strength or in our own flesh, but drawing from the strength we need to live holy, the oil we need, and we need to keep our garments clean. And if we sin, confess, repent, forsake, don't play with it. And that's how you keep your garments clean. If you sin, you go back to the cleansing flood that we sung about this morning so you can cleanse again. Because the whole point is that he, he might present the church to himself not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she be holy without blemish. Uh, and then we also see in Revelation 19. Read this many times as well. But it's important to this uh, parable reading about right now. Revelation 19:7 7, and, and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Were the foolish virgins ready? Did they make themselves ready? No, they were not. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen and bright for the fine linen is a righteous act of the saints. What you see in verse 8 is a picture of the gospel. Granted. Because guess what? We've all sinned. We've all dirtied our garments so it has to be granted to us to have white. But Above and beyond, uh, but uh, we'll go along with that. We are living holy because the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So God cleanses us of our wicked acts, but he gives us a chance to have white by living holy. So people, we be talked about this many times, people will say, well, you are taken the filthy away, and they repl- God has replaced the filthy with the righteous. No, we're required to live righteous. He washes away the filthiness, but we're required to live righteous. And so if you watch, you pray, you live holy, you keep your garments clean, then Revelation 19, 7 and 8 will apply to you. Then Matthew 25 and verse 13 will apply to you. You know in, in Zechariah chapter 4, let's go there for a second here. Speaking of oil and speaking of lamps, let's just go there for a second. You know, back in these days, Zechariah 4 is talking about something that happened in the past... And it's also talking about something that's going to happen in the future. Now, in those times, there were two men who were the leaders of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And those two leaders were Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. Those were the two leaders, okay? You see Joshua the high priest being mentioned in in Zechariah chapter 3, and Zerubbabel is mentioned in Zechariah chapter 4. They were the two leaders of the, the... the Jewish nations are going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And um, the interesting thing about Joshua, that name, in Hebrew, it's Yeshua. Interesting. And who is going to lead the rebuilding, so to speak, of the new Jerusalem? Jesus. Interesting. Okay, so, but in Zechariah chapter 4... It says, let's just read, starting in verse 1. Now, the angel who talked with me came back and wake, uh, wakened me, wakened me, us as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. Now, on the seven, on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes, to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked of me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked of me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by my power, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. He shall bring forth the capstone which shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised a day of small things? For these seven rejoiced to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand that is left? And further, I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branch, branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? They answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. So he said, These are the two anointed ones which stand bef- uh, beside the Lord of the whole earth. Okay, so the whole point of what Zachariah, uh, God is telling Zechariah about the people that time is that God sent uh, them out to build the temple and it's going to be completed, not by man's power, but by God's power. And this mountain that's before Zerubbabel, that he's, he's not thinking he's going to be able to complete it, it's going to be made as a plane. <coughs> so this hard thing is going to become an easy thing. And he's going to be able to complete it, not by his might, nor by his power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. But let's get to this issue here of these two olive trees. This is referring to the two witnesses we see in Revelation chapter 11. If you just go there for a second, I'll read it to you, to prove to you that's who it's referring to. Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This is John measuring the temple that is to come, that is not there yet, a future temple, because John wrote this around A.D. 96. The temple had been destroyed 26 years earlier. There's no temple to measure. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the Holy city underfoot for 42 months. I'll give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,000 260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. So there we go. So Zechariah chapter 4 is is prophesying about these two olive trees that are coming in the future. Uh, I believe the two olive trees at that point in time, which was a current situation, is referring to Joshua the high priest and the the governor, so to speak, of Jerusalem. And so, but you see that the source of what they are doing, the oil, in this situation here, is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So the power the two witnesses have, the source of their power, is the Holy Spirit, not because they're a great men. You know, I, I wonder if, if there is going to be a group of people, you know, the Bible doesn't really talk about this, who will try to worship them. Even though I'm sure their words will do the exact opposite. Because people see men with... I mean, look what happened to Paul and Barnabas when they were walking the book of Acts. They were telling them, oh, we're not gods, and they still wanted to worship them because of the things they had done. And so the power comes from the Holy Spirit. That is the oil um, that the two witnesses had. And so with that in mind, I, I, I suppose that we can assume in Matthew 25, the oil is the Holy Spirit there. Now, in a little sense, if you go back there just for a second in Matthew 25, um, of course, this is where you can't read too much in the parables here. Um, you can't go and buy the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, I don't know if someone who would ask the Holy Spirit from someone else who, who has it and say, give me more of the Holy Spirit so I can survive. So this is just, you're, you got, Christ is using a parable here. A natural situation. Because in a natural speaking, you can run out of oil. And naturally speaking, you have to go buy it. And naturally speaking, you can get it from someone else. But if you get it from them and they don't have enough, then they won't last to the end either. Um, and so it's a natural example here. But I, if we're going to th- say the oil is anything, I would say it's the Holy Spirit. Okay? And I'll tell you, if you think you need the Holy Spirit now, and this is talking about the last three and a half years, oh man, you're going to need the Holy Spirit then. You're going to need it then. Especially if you're not part of the group that goes out into the wilderness, you're really going to need it. Because persecution, as we said, will be so great. Matthew twenty-four and verse twenty-one: For there shall be great tribulation, such as it has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, no, ever shall be. That's us. And if you think, you know, we we've been persecuted by people before in the streets. We some brothers experienced that this just yesterday. That lady might have been demon possessed, but imagine. But maybe she wasn't. But imagine a man being Satan-possessed, persecuting you now. Satan himself persecuting you. This is one of his minions, but Satan himself. Imagine how bad it's going to be then. So once again, the point of this whole thing, verse 13, watch, be ready. That is the point. You need to be ready. You need to have oil in reserve. You need to be diligent and be sober and gird yourself. In fact, let's just let's quote you one more thing here from Luke. Similar situation here, different analogy, but um, very similar statement here in Luke chapter twelve and verse thirty five. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding. That when he comes and knocks, they be open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants who the master, when he comes, will find watching. Surely I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if you come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the master of the we heard before, Know if the master of the house had known what hour of the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. See so to be girded, gird your waist, let your lamps be burning, be prepared, be ready. It's something that Jesus is going to repeat over and over again in the upcoming verses here. Because he wants you to be ready. I want you to be ready. And you need to be ready. Okay, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much more into this. I mean, I, I think even going to the two witnesses and going to Zechariah 4 may be stretching a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure we can even define exactly what the whale is, but the fact is you need to be ready. And uh, we do know the source of our strength is the Holy Spirit. We do know the source of our the power we need is the Holy Spirit, and that comes from God so these people these these five foolish versions weren't going to the source of their strength enough they didn't have enough strength they they weren't ready for the the worst to come okay we'll we'll stop there open up for discussion Patrici?
1: Yeah, something that seems kind of close to what uh, what you're saying here is uh, Brother um, Victor Fursinger, and he says that the oil could represent the Holy Spirit, and that the five wise versions are those who are pressed in to the kingdom, who are pressed in, in prayer and study and seeking the Lord actively every day. And then the foolish versions are the ones who just do the minimal, uh, let's just do the minimal to just get by. Right. Right, and then yep. those are the ones who are not in prayer constantly, that are not in study all the time, and, and those are the ones who constantly stumble into sin all the time. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why we sin is because we're not pressed in. Mm-hmm. And that's what his supposition on this on this is. And it seems like it's really close to what you're saying.
0: And those are the ones are going to fall away.
1: Right, so the key thing that they're getting the, the oil, like the, the wise versions to have the oil in reserve, is to constantly be pressed in in prayer and study, seeking the Lord actively every day. Mm-hmm. That's how we get that oral in reserve for we'll be in the Holy Spirit. So, Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen.
4: Mm-hmm. I
2: was thinking uh, along those lines of, of how uh, Second Peter chapter 1 mm-hmm. uh, really kind of describes the wise and foolish virgins, uh, how those who have escaped uh, the corruption that is in the world through lust—they've escaped, and for that very reason that they've escaped, they're to add to their faith. Now, not just not mm-hmm. just to hang on to that initial salvation, but add to their faith. And it, and it says that the one who adds to his faith um, all these things, he won't be uh, barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. Um, but the one who's not adding to his faith. Um, can lose sight of his, even that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Right. Forget that he's been cleansed from his past sins and not enter in. Right. And and fall away. Um, so that's why you're kind of like the oil, not taking oil. <coughs> the foolish ones that didn't take the oil with them. Right. They weren't adding oil. They weren't adding to their faith right. more. And so then they Amen. fall away. And uh, and I was also thinking that the the light, if we're letting our light shine, then regularly. We're going to know that we need to continue being filled with the Spirit because yeah. we're going out and pouring out. But mm-hmm. those that aren't pouring out, they don't—they they don't think they need to be refilled. No. More. Yep. And so they can just trust on that—that that first entering in, you know, and think they're okay. Yep. And they're not the I'm good. We need to continue it's being filled. Cool.
0: I'm going to re- I'm going to read that passage in Second Peter one verses yeah. five through eleven here. Okay. <clears throat> it's a very good uh, in light of what we're talking about. But also for this very reason, in giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self control, to self control, perseverance. That's a very key one. What we're talking about right now. To perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even the blindness he has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This goes along very well with what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. the same verse that Victor brings up
0: when okay. you have
1: to be pressed in. If you don't, right. you're going to end up sinning. And that's the reason why you sins because
0: you're not doing the, 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 the first fruits. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Speaking of first fruits, go to step 2. let read about the church in Ephesus here. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, which you know are the churches here. The golden lampstand lampstands are run. These lampstands right here, I, I believe it's the same word... Uh, if it was in Hebrew, it would be the same word that that's used in the Old Testament. It's called the menorah. In Hebrew, it's menorah, which is the seven seven lamps together. You know, all even across the board, not the nine one that you have for the Hanukkah, but seven golden lampstands. I know, and those things are actually supplied with oil. Um, and they need to continually to have oil. They need to stay lit at all times, according to uh, Exodus. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember then, this is important here, remember then from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand, which requires oil, from its place, unless you repent. And so you see here that the lampstand, which, is, as you point out, is, good, is supposed to be lit at all times. According to the Old Testament, this is something that's supposed to be lit at all times. And so we say, letting our light shine at all times. And um, he's going to take their lampstand away. And so if they don't go back to their first love, which is about having a relationship with Christ and drawing near to him and the things we just talked about. Uh, and, you know, you realize at the end of that, that section in Second Peter there, the final of it was love. That was the final of it. That's right.
2: So. We think, you when when we when the first saved, we had a lot of zeal. <laughs> and we should have that zeal continuing, that yeah. light shining, that oil being, we should have being filled. And we, you know, I think about that, and that's what he talks about, leaving the first love. Yeah. Uh, growing cold. It's yeah. like kind of growing coal to be similar to the oil going out. And, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I remember when I was a, a new Christian, I was zealous, and, and people said, oh, it's okay, you'll, you'll get over, you'll get over it, it eventually kind of thing. That's kind of the way they treated me. I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, glad cool. I didn't.
2: Well, I remember a, a pastor, um, a teacher, maybe I should say a teacher, uh, saying that he used to go out sharing the gospel. When he was first saved, but um, he used to go out and i out track and talk to people one on one and, and uh, witness. And, but um, but he's he's grown. He's grown to a place you now. Does something
0: more basically, dignified he, and more respectable. He
2: basically, basically, thinks you know. Now he teaches in the in the you know the, the gathering of the saints. He teaches. That's his. That's what he does now. And it was kind of in that context that he used to do that but now the Lord has not doing this. Kind of thing. And that was uh, a whole group of us <laughs> that were seeking to be His witnesses, you know, and we have someone that we're looking to do His teachings, and uh, He's saying that I don't do that anymore, kind of thrown out of that in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit. It should be, that fire should be still there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think have to
0: be careful about it. It's hard to be the armpit of the body of Christ, you know? what preachers are. They're basically their armpit. Uh, I'm just saying that, you know, the church wants to cover us up with some stuff and act like we're not there. Now we'll have to deal with us, you know. And uh, I've heard a lot of guys say that we're we're like garbage men. We, we go to the garbage, we dump it all out and it's just it's a big mess and, you because know, you're getting your... T- Confronting people on their sin, that's a big mess. That is, you you—you you bring the, when you're preaching against sin, you're bringing the worst out in people sometimes because it just, ah, you know, their heart comes out, and, and you've got a you got picture of that yesterday, of course. You see it every time we're on the streets. Uh, the worst comes out of people sometimes when you preach the truth to them.
2: And, uh, Get that garbage out so they don't end up in the garbage dump. That's
4: right. The eternal garbage dump. Right. That's, that's what we're at. Exactly. That's our goal. Yeah, we want them to be cleaned out. Want Get
0: it all out, Get it all out. Yeah, we want it to be out for good. Yeah. want we yeah. bring up a passage that kind, of,
2: kind, of, kind of relates to what you guys are talking about. Read through 6.
4: Starting in verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yet saints that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not entrusted to you your work in labor of love which you have shown for his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence and full assurance of hope until the end. Mm. You do not become sluggish, but imitate those who do faith and patience inherit
0: the promises. Yeah, Yeah, we can't become sluggish. Can't become sluggish. Yeah, can't become sluggish. I was, t- I was telling Angela y- yesterday that uh, I don't know of any good song out there that reflect good eschatology. And, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we talked about it, too. It'd be good. I- I'm going to think about it. Maybe, uh, maybe just putting some lyrics to a, the tune of How Great Thou Art. Or
2: I have a tune, also, that I was thinking about. I've been thinking okay. about that recently, too. Okay. That song, uh, Take Me In, right. it's kind of more of the old, right. The old covenant. Right. Are in court, into the holy place. Okay. Past the brazen altar so where I mm-hmm. want to see a face. And then the, the chorus is, take, uh, take me into the holy, the holy. Okay. Take me the idol, Yeah. Uh, so that's but it, it really kind of, you know, some of it doesn't apply right, right. now necessarily. Right. And I thought it Yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> but I thought that would be a good one with that tune. I've been, I've been thinking about that. So maybe okay.
0: On that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good truth is taught very quickly through songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, most professing Christians I meet today, their theology comes from their songs they listen to. The problem is, as long list there are contemporary Christian music, Christian music that is just horrible theologically. Um,
3: yeah. Right after, after we were preaching, I heard a story
0: from the way the master said she came out and
3: said to homosexuality oh. was okay. Oh. She get married.
4: Carrie Underwood? Right after we preached. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, ironically, where we were preaching yesterday, a big, huge Carrie Underwood thing on the side of the building, mm-hmm. right above where we were preaching. Uh-huh. The big idol. Oh, the wow. Yeah. yeah, They grabbed onto that, huh? On the side of Hard Rock Cafe? Yeah, I don't yeah. know if they grabbed onto it or not. I just tell No, know I remember it. seeing that. I saw it several times when I
1: was trying to looking at it. And I don't know much about it.
0: Yeah. yeah, I don't think Shira gave Jesus the wheel. Yeah. So, well,
1: she's the one that sung that song. Yeah, guy, yeah. yeah. I, I, I really despise that song. <laughs> yeah.
3: I feel the song's like in reference she's she's saying that being a Christian is totally out of control. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the same thing I was on the video because at the first time I was like, I was, like all, I was saying country music quickly. We just preached out I was like, some country music's okay. i like, can you name some Christian songs that are country that are okay? Right. Well, Taylor Swift. Well, doesn't Taylor Swift have a popular song about sneaking out late and meeting with your boyfriend and disobeying your parents? How is that? How, how can you think Carrie is bad if she promotes homosexuality? That's wrong. But, but it's okay to promote sneaking out and disobeying your parents. Right. I, mean, I can answer that one.
1: songs yes truth. it, it stick
0: is
3: stick
0: in your head yeah, stick in your head help teach help teach truth to children and truth to other people and so it's good to have good songs there so if we have to write them all ourselves or change the ones that are mostly good change the word day, right? yeah, that's, uh, for our children